Okay. All right. Well, welcome everybody. This is class one of the killer bees. Be blessed by the Beatitudes. And actually, I have to credit my son Stephen with coming up with that and with the logo for the, the poster. Um, pretty clever. I couldn't think of anything more clever than that. So um, let's pray and we'll jump in. Jesus, thanks for everybody who came tonight. Thank you, Lord, for every single person here. And thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us your word to build us up and strengthen us and, and to give us joy and to fill us with your joy, Lord Jesus. And I, I just pray, Lord, that as we study the Beatitudes together, that we would be filled with your joy and that your spirit and your word would change us and make us more like you, Jesus, so that we can bring you glory and so that we can experience all that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. 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 Well, the Beatitudes are part of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus went up onto a mountain and gave this sermon. And he had been doing some teaching in synagogues, but this was a probably the first major public discourse he had given. And there were a lot of crowds, so people were already beginning to follow him. And the crowds come to hear him, and his disciples come to hear him. And Beatitudes, hi Heather, Beatitudes comes from a Latin word, beatus, which means blessed or happy. So every time Jesus says, blessed are the ones, he could say, happy are those who do this, or happy are those who this experience this. So blessed means more though than what most people in our culture mean by the word blessed. I mean you hear a lot of people say blessed, I'm really blessed to, to be here, I'm really blessed. And it, it means to be blessed in a biblical sense is more than a temporary or uh, a feeling of happiness related to our circumstances. You know, like if everything's going well, some people say, boy, I'm really blessed, or I'm happy. To be blessed is a state of well-being in relationship to God that belongs to those who respond to Jesus' ministry. And so Jesus' ministry was starting. And so Jesus was saying, if you respond to me, you are going to have incredible well-being in your relationship with God and with me. And so the, the primary content of the Beatitudes, which are part of the whole Sermon on the Mount, the primary content of these Beatitudes is the kingdom of heaven. They, they, are, they are related to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And I'll, I'll explain that in a second. Because just before this, just before Jesus gives the Beatitudes, just before the Sermon on the Mount, 
It says in chapter 4, verse 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then just a few verses later, in that same chapter in Matthew 4.23, it says, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And so he's proclaiming the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom, and now he says, You are blessed or you have well-being in the kingdom if these things are true of you. Now the kingdom of God is the reign of the king, Jesus, the Messiah. It's, it's not so much a place, it's His rule. It's everywhere where His rule is. And so when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, we're praying, Lord, bring your rule. So when Jesus said in the Lord's prayer, He says, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. He's saying, pray to the Father that His rule, my rule, Jesus' rule, would extend everywhere on the earth. And so when we pray for our relatives and our children and our friends, we should pray, Lord, bring your kingdom into his life. Bring your rule into his life. Bring your rule. And when the rule of Jesus comes, the Beatitudes come in a sense. The Beatitudes are tied in with the rule of Jesus coming in our lives. And so the Beatitudes have to do with being under the rule of Jesus. And when we're under the rule of Jesus, we are blessed and happy in the deepest sense. And so let's look at verses 1 through 4. That's what we're going to look at tonight. My hope, my goal would be for these next four Thursday nights, we'll do two Beatitudes a night. So won't be too much, hopefully. So verse 1, Matthew 5, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, there it is again. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So the first thing is, blessed by the poor in spirit. And um, one of the books I'm using as a study book is by a Bible scholar named A.W. Pink. I, I like him. I generally like him a lot. He says, Christ began, I really like this, Christ began not by pronouncing maledictions on the wicked or curses on the wicked. Jesus didn't start his public ministry by pronouncing maledictions on the wicked, but by pronouncing benedictions on his people, blessings on his people. I think that is, that is so great. Jesus didn't come to condemn everybody but he came to show us the way to blessing and well-being with God. And he wants to bless us. I never thought that about God. 
before Jesus saved me, I didn't think of God as being up there saying, I, I can't wait to bless you. Oh, I wish you would turn to me so I could bless you. I, I didn't think of God that way. I, I really didn't. I thought of him as waiting to punish me. So Jesus goes up on the mountain and sits down. And that was the standard position a rabbi or a teacher would take in those days. And so he, be, he sits down in the position of a teacher and he opens his mouth and teaches him. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, earlier Jesus had commanded people to repent for the kingdom of heaven was at hand. He was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And he said, I have good news. The rule of God is here now in me. And I want to give it to you. And, and, and here's the starting point to be poor in spirit. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say, blessed are the poor in spirit because that's kind of just how you get into the kingdom of heaven. He says, if you're poor in spirit, whatever that means, and we'll look at that, the whole kingdom of heaven is yours, which is incredible. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And so he says, the rule of God is yours. If, you have, if you're poor in spirit. In other words, if you recognize your spiritual bankruptcy, Jesus says, then my kingdom is your kingdom and all the blessings of my rule will be yours. And we'll look at that. Keep looking at this. So the rule of Jesus brings incredible blessings. Blessings that are infinitely greater than all the blessings of being in this world. Just think about this. The rule of Jesus brings forgiveness of sins. That, that blessing alone is better than anything in this whole world. I mean, you could be a millionaire, but if you don't have forgiveness of sins, and so the poorest person in the kingdom of God has more than the richest person in the world, just with forgiveness of sins. But that's... that's just a small part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God includes friendship with God, fellowship with the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, freedom from slavery to sin and guilt, the power of the Holy Spirit to please God and enjoy Him, access to the throne of grace. I couldn't even name all the wonderful benefits of being in the kingdom. The kingdom of God brings the, the mighty protection of God, the mighty angels of God around every single one in the kingdom. It says the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and He delivers Him. So every single person in the kingdom of God, the angels of God are camped around them. And the kingdom of God brings all of God's provision. He promises to, to give us all we need to glorify Him. And, and it also brings the incredible joy someday of seeing Jesus' glorious face. And someday, Jesus will create a new heaven and a new earth and restore paradise to the earth. And all that, all that belongs to the poor in spirit. So I don't know about you, but I want to be poor in spirit. 
<laughs> if I can get all that. So what, what does it mean uh, to be poor in spirit? Because we don't automatically just receive all those blessings. Well, it means we need to realize our sinful condition apart from Jesus and come to him and repent, as he said earlier. So the poor in spirit, the ESV study Bible says, are those who recognize they are in need of God's help. And the kingdom belongs to those who confess their spiritual bankruptcy. So it means that we have to come to a point in our lives where we realize we are totally bankrupt spiritually, have nothing to offer God. You know, at one time in my life, and I was, I was sinning at this time of my life, but if you would have asked me, I would have said, well, generally, I think I'm a pretty good guy. I didn't know if I was going to go to heaven or not, but I, I was kind of hoping that because I went to confession a lot and tried to do all the things that the Catholic Church told me that I might have a chance, I, I would have probably told you like five minutes after I went to confession that I thought I was going to go to heaven at that moment before I went out and got smashed that night and had to go to confession again. <laughs> um, but I still would have said, basically, though, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, I think God would probably take me. You know, I didn't realize spiritually how bankrupt I was. And God, in his mercy, had to let me gradually come to a place where I saw that more and more. And I probably, probably have never seen it, my actual bankruptcy. But if I did, I'd probably pass out. But it, it, it's poor in spirit means we realize we need God's help. And A.W. Pink says, it is, it is, poverty of spirit is the opposite of that haughty, self-assertive, and self-sufficient disposition that the world so much admires and praises. You know, everywhere we look, the world is like, you've got to be boastful you got to be proud of yourself I didn't come to lose I came to win I came to take this thing I came to bring my a game I mean I'm there's so many cliches I'm so tired of hearing athletes and cooks and everybody in the world says in any competition whatsoever you know I I came to take it to the next level I'm the biggest I'm the baddest I'm gonna I'm gonna beat everybody else you know that's the world's attitude um, it's the world's attitude. There used to be a comedian who acted like he, he pretended he was a psychiatrist and he would say, you need to tell yourself, or he would be talking in the mirror. He says, he says, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. <laughs> and and that's, that's, that's the total opposite of poverty in spirit. You know, our whole society says our goal is to build up our self-esteem. You've got to believe in yourself. You've got to think you're really great. And your problems aren't sin. 
your problems are you don't think highly enough of yourself. I mean, I just, you just hear that all over the place. And our problem is that we think too much of ourselves. And that's, that's why God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so this poverty of spirit, it's a consciousness of one's emptiness and need, and that results from the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And it, it issues from the painful discovery that, as in Isaiah 64, 6, it says, all my righteousness is as filthy rags before God. And A.W. Pink says, it follows my being awakened to the fact that my very best performances are unacceptable, yes, an abomination to the thrice holy one, the three holy, holy, holy God. And thus one who is poor in spirit realizes that he is a hell-deserving sinner. Now that is totally foreign to people. That based on my performance in my life, based on my works, I deserve to be in hell. So I have used that at times as a believer to comfort myself when I'm going through something that's hard. I, I say to myself, well, you know what? I should be in hell right now. So this, this is really hard, but it's a lot better than what I'm going through. Now, I'm not saying that we say that when we go through a, a tragedy or something like that, but I, I'm just saying that we all should be in hell. Now, if you tell that to a non-Christian, they'll think you're crazy. And I did that once, stupidly. <laughs> I saw this guy who was a dad... Of, of a kid on the baseball team that one of my sons was on a baseball team. I saw him in Lowe's one day, and, and I, um, he said, how are you doing? And I said, well, better than I deserve. And thinking, well, maybe this will give me a chance to share the gospel. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, I should be in hell right now, but Jesus <laughs> saved me of my sins. And he just went, See you later. <laughs> I said, maybe I won't say that anymore to people. <laughs> but that's really the truth. That is really the truth that we all should be in hell. It's just God's kindness that he saved us. And when we, when we come to realize it, then we can come to realize we don't deserve the kingdom. We aren't worthy of God's kingdom. And apart from Jesus, we are spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing to offer God. Nothing. We have to receive the kingdom of God as a gift from him. It's a gift. It's, it, if, the, if, some, if say I was the richest man in the world, and I don't know who that is, but if I said to you, I want to give you $50 billion, and you said, well, I want to earn that. I'm going to come over and cut your grass every day for the rest of my life. I say, well, you either have to take it as a gift or not, nothing, because you're not going to be able to earn it. And, and, Especially if this richest, if I was the richest man in the world, and every single day of your life you came over to my house and spray painted curse words on it and threw tomatoes at my house 
and broke my windows and spit on me. And then you thought, hey, I, I'm kinda, I think I'm good enough to get that $80 billion you want to give me. I'd say, you are crazy. And that's what it is. We have so sinned against God. We have so mocked Him, so disobeyed Him that we have no worthiness at all of His kingdom. And um, this, this passage in Isaiah tells that God is willing to dwell with a certain kind of people. And so Isaiah 57.15 says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That's, that is an incredible passage. Look at, who it, look at who it says God is. He's the one who is high and lifted up. I mean, God is so infinitely exalted, the heavens can't even contain Him. And He says, He's the one who inhabits eternity. If you ever want to just kind of blow your own mind, think about, just try to think about this for a few minutes. God is uncreated. God had no beginning. He always existed. I've, sometimes I think about that. And then after a while, I just say, i got to quit thinking about this. <laughs> How, everything I know in this world is created. Everything had a beginning, but God had no beginning. He says, I inhabit eternity. He is a complete, he, in that sense, He is absolutely unlike us. He says, I'm the one who whose name is, my name is holy, whose name is holy. And I dwell in the high and holy place. And yet, this infinite God says, I also love to dwell with Him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. Contrite means someone who is sorry for their sins. They know they sin, they're poor in spirit, they know they're spiritually bankrupt and have nothing to offer God, and God says, I'll dwell with you. I love to dwell with people who know they have nothing to offer me. Who, people who are sorry for their sins, contrite and lowly. Remember the, remember the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector Jesus told in Luke 18? He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, Jesus said, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. 
But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisee was not contrite or lowly in spirit. So God says, you can't have the kingdom. But the tax collector who said, I'm a sinner, Lord, and I, I just need, I need mercy, which, which is undeserved, then he received, he was justified, Jesus says. So that's what it means to be poor in spirit. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean we mope around like Eeyore. Oh, I'm just a, I'm nothing. Thanks for noticing. Thanks for remembering my birthday. You know, it doesn't mean we're just like full of self-pity all the time. But, you know, it doesn't mean we just hate ourselves. But it means that we just know we're spiritually bankrupt and we've sinned and we have nothing to offer God. I love in Jeremiah 9, 23, 24, it says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So he's saying, even after we become Christians, if God gives us wisdom, or if God gives us might in any way, or riches or whatever, he says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Remember, remember. Remember who you were. Be glad that you know me. And that what I'm like. Because the minute we start to think we're wise, we are headed in a dangerous direction. In, in Proverbs 29, 23, it says, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. So I think, Lord, I do not want you to have to bring me low. Pride is a guarantee that God will bring us low. But if we can stay lowly in spirit, it says the lowly in spirit will obtain honor. And, and one key to staying lowly in spirit is in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, it says, it says, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And so we need to remember that every good thing we have as believers, because we can still grow proud in our spirits after being Christians, and a key is to remember that anything we have, it's because God gave it to us. And so, you know, you, we, hear the, we hear the phrase, proud as a peacock. And, and a peacock is this bird with all these beautiful feathers, and it goes strutting around, I guess, I, I haven't observed peacocks much in my life. But they go strutting around and showing off their feathers. And, you know, a bird's not really proud, but, but it's, 
It's like it's proud of something that it didn't even have anything to do with. And C.S. Lewis said, we have no more right to be proud of our talents or our gifts than we do of the color of our eyes. You know, anything good we have, it's because God gave it to us as a gift. And so, it says in Isaiah 26, 12, it says, O Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all our works. And so I, I just think even, even God's incredible blessing on our church, it's not because of us. It's not because we've done anything. It's because, Lord, you have indeed done for us all our works. And, and that's where, I, you know, as, as God blesses us, I, I just always want to remember, we are nothing. We were totally bankrupt, and God just gave us the kingdom of God and salvation. And all he has done, any good thing that our church has done, God has done it. So the second the second uh, beatitude is blessed are those who mourn. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What does it mean to mourn? It's not, it's not the same as our mourning over a, a tragic event. But this, is, this here is talking about mourning over our sins. And when he talks about being comforted, He's primarily talking about the removal of guilt from our conscience when the Holy Spirit applies the gospel to us. That's the, that's the comfort that comes when we mourn over our sins. It's kind of like the, there's Paul in 2 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about godly grief, godly mourning, and worldly mourning. And so in, in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8 through 11, he says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. And then he says, For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. And then here's such a key verse. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. So what he's saying is this, godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation. Worldly grief produces death. So worldly grief, he says, remember we're talking about blessed are those who mourn. Worldly mourning about sin Worldly grief over sin is feeling bad because you got caught. Or feeling bad because your life is messed up because of your sin. Whereas godly grief is feeling bad because you've sinned against God. And it leads us to repentance. 
leads us to repentance. But before I was a Christian, at times, I had I felt bad about my sins. I felt bad at times about hurting people. But I didn't feel bad because I sinned against God. I, 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 at times I felt bad when people found out things about me and I looked bad in their eyes and, and I regretted doing something. But that's worldly grief. Years, many, many years ago, a woman in our church, and she's no longer in our church, um, she was committing adultery and her actions led to the breakup of her whole family great sadness for her children and the the other pastor and I at the time we we talked to her about it we appealed to her about it we tried to get her to turn from this and she was be crying and weeping it her family was just being destroyed because of her sin but yet she didn't repent it did see godly sorrow leads us to repentance and so that's the kind of mourning that brings blessing into our lives. When we mourn over our sin because it's an offense against God. And then we repent of that and it can bring blessing into our lives. So it's, it's not enough to just be mourning and crying and we have to... That's, that's a worldly grief if it doesn't lead to repentance. So when God saves us, he causes us to grieve over our sins. That's one of the first things that happens when we when he saves us. We we're grieved over our sins and and I love this phrase here that A.W. Pink said. He says, "God wounds before healing and abases before he exalts." So we're we're wounded over our sins, but God doesn't leave us there. That's where he says, that's where he says we are comforted when we mourn over our sins. God, God, God wounds us, but he doesn't leave us there wounded. He, he sends his comfort because blessed are we when we mourn over our sins because then we can receive the comfort of God. And there, there are other kinds of godly grieving. Um, and, and, and just before I move on here, when we grieve over our sins and mourn over our sins, even though we feel bad at the time, that's a sign that we're born again. Because non unbelievers don't grieve over their sins for the same reasons. We don't grieve over our sins because we've offended God. But there are other kinds of grieving that we Christians experience. We mourn over our spiritual coldness and our lack of passion for God. I mean, I've had many people come up and say, would you pray for me? I just, I just feel cold towards God. and It just bothers me. I feel bad about it. Well, that, that's because you're born again. That's because the Spirit of God is leading you to, to mourn over uh, an area that God wants to, to help us in. We mourn over and grieve over to various degrees our lack of fruitfulness, struggles with sin, distracted worship. Have you ever just 
felt like on Sunday morning, like, oh, I'm so distracted at times during worship. I just hate it. I just want to worship God with all my heart, and here I am thinking about something else. <laughs> it's just like, ah. <laughs> one time, <laughs> one time during worship, this wasn't any time recently, but one time someone was worshiping in an unusual way. I forget, I think they were, I don't know, I think they were spinning around or something like that. And, and they were worshiping with all their hearts to the Lord. They were doing it totally to the Lord. And, you know, and I open my eyes and I see them. And, and in my mind, I'm, I'm criticizing it. And I'm thinking, you know, man, that's not worship. And then all of a sudden, God just convicted me of like, you're not worshiping me, <laughs> you hypocrite. You're criticizing this other person in your heart, and they're, they're more godly than you are. And then I go, ah, oh, I hate myself. <laughs> well, we have all kinds of other things we, we, we grieve about. We grieve about other things in the world, the pain and suffering of our fellow Christians and relatives and family members who don't follow the Lord and Christians who stray from the Lord and, and abortion and, and the wickedness of our nation. and We grieve over strife among believers and the suffering of persecuted Christians and all those are signs that we're born again. And there's, there's this godly grieving in our hearts over just sin in the world, our own sin and then sin of, of, of others, sin of our family members, sin of just people in the world. Sin of people we work with at times. Um, but Jesus says, when we mourn over sin, then, then, my, then my comfort comes to you. And so, so that, that kind of mourning is a blessing because of my comfort. And so, in Isaiah 61, 1-3, this is prophetic of Jesus. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, spiritually poor especially. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. To grant those who mourn in Zion. To give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. That he may be glorified. And so when we mourn for our sins. God comforts us by cleansing us. And declaring us righteous. Cleansing us. So 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that, that cleansing, that cleansing from all unrighteousness is the comfort of God. And so it says in Romans 4, 6-8, it says, Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteous." apart from works blessed there it is again blessed the Beatitudes 
Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So we, we, we mourn over our sins and that mourning leads to repentance and then we experience the blessing of God because He doesn't count our sins against us because He counted them to Jesus. Isn't, isn't that comfort? Man, what, what a comfort of God knowing that He doesn't count my sins against me. Oh man, if God counted my sins against me. Whew. What a comfort. It's like, it's like in Pilgrim's Progress. In case, well, a lot of you were here for Joe's teaching last month on Bunyan, but this guy named, or this guy named John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he says, he, he writes it as if it's a dream, and the main character is Christian, and it starts off with this guy named Christian with this massive, massive load on his back, and he can't get it off, and it's just, it's, it's, it's the weight of his sins, and he can't get this massive, gigantic bundle of his sins off his back, and it's just weighing him down. And he comes in this part of the dream, and it says, Now I saw in my dream that the highway up which Christian was to go was fenced on either side with a wall, and that wall was called Salvation. And up this way, therefore, did burdened Christian run, but not without great difficulty because of the load on his back. And he ran thus until he came at a place somewhat ascending, and upon that place stood a cross, and a little below in the bottom a sepulcher, or a grave, an open tomb. And I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders and fell from off his back and began to tumble and continued to do so all the way down into the mouth of the tomb where it fell in and I saw it no more. And then it says, Then was Christian glad and lightsome and said with a merry heart, He hath given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. And... Then he stood a while to look and wonder, for it was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross should ease him of his burden. And he looked, therefore, and looked again, even till the springs that were in his head sent the waters down his cheeks. <laughs> He's just crying for joy that his sins have been forgiven. And as he stood there looking and weeping, behold, three shining ones came to him and saluted him with, Peace be to thee. So the first said to him, Thy sins be forgiven and it goes on for a little while it says so they went on their way and it says then Christian gave three leaps for joy <laughs> and went on singing thus far did I come laden with my sin nor could aught ease the grief that I was in till I came hither what a place this is must here be the beginning of my bliss must hear the burden fall from off my back. Must hear the strings that bound it to me crack. Blessed cross, blessed sepulcher, blessed rather be the man that there was put to shame for me. And he, 
He was comforted after all his misery. And so the point that Jesus is making at the very beginning is, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed, you're, you're blessed when you realize you're, you're bankrupt and have nothing, when we're, we have nothing to offer God. And then he says, you're blessed if God has worked in your life so that you've mourned over your sins and turned to Jesus in repentance because now we can experience the comfort of God that comes from, from forgiveness. And the ultimate, the ultimate comfort is going to be in heaven. Revelation 21, 3 and 4 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That's in heaven. But right now in this life, our life now is, is a rhythm of mourning and comfort. Mourning and comfort. We're, we're, we're grieved by family members who reject Jesus, and often we're comforted then when they come to know the Lord. We're, we're grieved when brothers and sisters sin against us, but then we're comforted when we restore them and, or when we forgive them and, and, and or they come to us and ask forgiveness and we're restored to them. We, we mourn when we go through trials of various kinds, but we're comforted because we know that the character of Jesus is being formed in us. And we know that God's, God is causing all things to work for our good. We, we grieve over our sins, but we're comforted when we confess them and find forgiveness. We're grieve, we grieve over our weakness and our lack of desire for the Lord, but then we're comforted when Jesus gives us fresh desire for Him and knowing that someday we won't have to battle this. I won't be criticizing anybody's worship in heaven. <laughs> I don't criticize anybody's worship now, by the way. So you don't have to worry. Plus, I'm usually sitting up here. I can't see anybody anyway. <laughs> um, and so, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 6.10, and I'll wrap it up with this. This, this, is, this is our life now. Paul says, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich as having nothing yet possessing everything. And that, that's it, isn't it? As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. I mean, can't you think of things right now in your life that you're sorrowful about? And yet, can't you think of things that you're rejoicing about? And that's, that's the rhythm of our Christian lives now. And when we're sorrowful, we, when we mourn, we come to Jesus, and blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When we sin, we come to Jesus and confess our sins, 
and he forgives us and cleanses us of all unrighteousness. And so we live in, the, in this already, we're already in the kingdom. The kingdom is all ours, but we, we also live in the not yet. We haven't seen the kingdom of God in all its full consummation. But the whole kingdom of God, all of the kingdom is ours now. So, let's, let's pray. And the one about uh, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, that was 2 Corinthians 6.10. So, Lord Jesus, oh Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you for allowing us to see our bankruptcy, spiritual bankruptcy before you. And Lord, for even for anyone in the room who may not be saved yet, would you please have mercy on every single one and save everyone. And Lord, we just ask you to help us to rejoice in the fact that the whole kingdom of God is ours. And help us to rejoice in the fact, Lord, that though we mourn, that you are waiting to comfort us. And, Lord, that our mourning over our sins leads to our receiving your comfort. You are such a great God. We are so, so grateful, Lord, that your desire is to bless us. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, thanks for coming, you guys. and. Sure. Well, anybody who's going down to uh, the Kowalczyk Center, there's time to get there.